0: This is Finding Normal, Life After Spiritual Trauma. Thank you for joining us as we focus on healing, finding God, and feeling a little less crazy in everyday life following a toxic faith experience. Welcome back to the podcast. It has been a while since we have put out an episode We took a nice little break for Christmas and then we got sick, so it's taken us a little while to get enough energy and enough vocal strength to record a new episode. But we're back. We're going to be continuing our series about spiritual authority. And um, this one, we're specifically going to be talking about false teaching on authority, particularly something you may have heard of the umbrella of authority or umbrella of protection most famously taught by Gothard but I think there's a couple might have cropped up in a couple other places too.
1: Yeah so we wanted to start out this um, particular episode I feel like this is kind of getting into the wrong things that you've actually heard taught about authority. We've been going through the Bible like what does the Bible say about spiritual authority or what does it not say about spiritual authority and this is where we come across like, okay, this is the foundation for spiritual abuse. That's why we're spending so many episodes talking about spiritual authority and what does the Bible have to say and what is actually being taught out there because this is the foundation for spiritual abuse. This is why people don't walk away from spiritually abusive churches. This is why they don't walk away from abusive marriages, abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um why they don't leave places where any normal person would look at that situation. I look back at our own situation um, at Falls Baptist Church, and I'm like, why didn't we just walk away? We No one made mm-hmm. us stay there, but this theology made us stay there. This is what right. kept us there. So that's super important to understand um, the teaching on authority, the wrong teaching that's out there. And we just want to start off this podcast with... My absolute favorite quote about authority from a book called A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It says, men who speak endlessly on authority only prove they have none. Kings who make speeches about submission only betray twin fears in their hearts. They are not certain they are really true leaders sent of God and they live in mortal fear of a rebellion Authority from God is not afraid of challengers, makes no defense, and cares not one whit if it must be dethroned.
0: Yeah. Wonderful quote. Wonderful quote. Um,
1: I just love the first part of that. Men who speak endlessly on authority only prove they have none. Whenever something like this comes up and people start talking about, you know, the authority or, you know, get out. It's like that always pops into my head. Yeah. It it just shows the, the insecurity there in their positions like if you have to keep bringing this up well everybody obey me and follow me because i'm in this position of leadership mm-hmm. then you're you're on thin nice there with your leadership
0: yeah it betrays the the insecurity
1: okay so we're starting off with gothard and then we're going to go through all of that because so much of that was even though he wasn't ifb so much of that was really just bought hook, line, and sinker, and it's taught by so many pastors that's basically Gothard's teaching.
0: Godotally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think then, pastors who don't even...
1: They don't even know it's Gothard they,
0: at this yeah, point. Th- that's not even where they got it, necessarily.
1: Um, and then we are going to do either as a second part of this episode or, like, a separate episode, depending how long we go with the first part. We're going to talk about what we experienced, which is basically Gothard 2.0. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at Falls Baptist Church, Baptist College of Ministry. They call it something different, but it's basically the same thing, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so we're starting off with Gothard here, and Chris is the resident Gothard expert, because <laughs> he had firsthand experience with that, and we have many, many wisdom booklets, they're called, I believe. Yes. And we have wisdom booklets, we have conference from, notes. From, yes, so his parents so. saved all that, so thank you to them, and have given us those things, and then... Um, I've got all my notes from our time at um, Falls Baptist Church. So we're we're not just um, going off the top of our heads here. We are we we have these things in our um, research boxes yep. in the closet, and we fold it all research.
0: If there's one thing we're really really good at, it's research. So,
1: well, hoarding paper <laughs> first of all, but yes.
0: <laughs> yep. So yes, absolutely, lots of research. So I'm. Um, obviously I don't have notes where you can see them, but, um, I'm going to talk through a lot of this that's laid out in those notes. And I know the Gothard materials have gone through so many iterations and been revised, but a lot of this is still there. And sometimes the terminology changes. So originally, um, in the earliest notes we have, and I think it went back even a little bit farther into the seventies, the earliest notes we have are from the late eighties, um, Gothard started talking about this principle he called the chain of command. And um, the basic idea was that, you know, there's God and then under God is human authority, whether it's parent, pastor, employer, anything like that, and then there's you. So there's a vertical line and the protection and blessing of God comes to you through human authority. That's the basic gist of it. Um, later, he what I remember is the umbrella of authority um, being taught. Later, later it was changed to the umbrella of protection, which sounds way nicer and way less military than chain of command. But it's the same principle. He just kept teaching it and tweaking it, and the diagrams would change slightly.
1: And I think he probably swiped it from somebody because I've seen because it, it does show crop up, up from other
0: like, sources.
1: Yeah, like there's a different version where it's kind of like a Gothard promoted like. The the household version, where, like, the father is the Right, the father was definitely the big human authority. But I've seen other iterations of it where it's, like, a church version, where there's a pastor.
0: Where it's God, Um, pastor, father.
1: Yeah, now, our circle, well, the churches that we were in were never that overtly heretical because that is just flat out heretical It shows christ and then the pastor and it's like um sorry no no other mediators are supposed to be there between you and christ but um we but that was definitely what was taught yeah so gothard applies it to the home which to some extent where we were at would have applied it to the home but they would have said like the pastor. Like, yes, the husband, father's, like, the head, but then the pastor's, like, over him, Mm -hmm. too. So it's kind of, like, different. But in the IFB,
0: they at least pay lip service to the priesthood of believers. So they're reluctant to have the the diagram where the pastor is truly between the father and God. But they really...
1: That's how they act.
0: That's how they act. And they, they really do put the father between God and the rest of the family.
1: Because women are just, you know...
0: Inferior. Hmm. Women
1: can't have a relationship heresy. with
0: God. <laughs> More heresy. Anyway, um, so that's the base. That's the basic concept, and it does get taught at in that vein, um, even today. So the interesting thing is they've got verses sprinkled through the whole thing. All these notes they've got verses for God being the ultimate authority. Obviously, nobody's going to argue with that. Um, they've got verses, and we'll go th- I'll go through some of the ver- specific references they use. They've got verses applying to, you know, how you're supposed to be under authority. Um, interesting what verses they pick or can find in the scripture to try to justify their point. The interesting thing to me is there was no scriptural evidence given for God establishing this, quote-unquote, balance of power where there's family, church, and government set up as a balance of power, they didn't even put a scripture reference because that's not a scriptural idea. You might be able to make a scriptural argument for the formation of human government based on Genesis 9. Um, And obviously the family and the church were created by God at the two different times, but there's no scriptural evidence for them being this balance of power, this, you know, these three, three organizations or three seats of authority used as a balance of power in the world.
1: It's just another attempt by people to systematize something that it's not. I
0: mean, yeah, family, family and church are there as kind of entities, but not as some kind of power structure. Um, They do I'm trying to be as fair as I can with them. They refer broadly to Israel's Israel's national structure. as like there's elders, there's priests, and there's the king. So there's like three parts to that, their authority structure. So now there's three parts to ours. But it's a big leap. And honestly, God never dictated that structure, especially in the New Testament. There's Christ was supposed to fulfill all of that. There's no... We don't have to be Israel. Um, so that's, it's just a, str- a big stretch. Now, <clears throat> the one scripture evidence that they try to say, like, this is where the umbrella idea comes from. No, I, I've never seen umbrellas mentioned in the Bible. But the...
1: <laughs> <clears throat> There's a funny meme about that yeah. on Instagram where it said, you know, the guy was going to name it umbrella, but he hesitated. So it's an um umbrella.
0: Umbrella. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say, if the Bible had originally been given in England, where it rained all the time, maybe there would have been umbrellas in the Bible. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) Um, So the one passage they go to is um, Psalm 17, verses 8 and 9, where it says God hides us, or us is is an application. God hides Israel. Under the shadow of his wings Kind of, you know, that idea of a hen Spreading her wings to protect her chicks And God protects us like that But that's referring to God It's referring directly to God So this insertion of human authority is just Somebody's idea
1: And that is also I'm not looking at the passage But just looking at that It's, it's an action on God's part Not an action on our part to put ourselves under his authority.
0: Right. That is something that God is doing. This is what God does for you to protect you. Yeah,
1: Where in this whole thing about umbrella of authority, the burden is never put on the authority. It's always on the person that's supposed to be under the authority. Put yourself under authority. That's always where the burden is. It's not authorities are you being a good authority that's <laughs> never heard a message like that hmm. before or really read anything that puts that I'm there. looking
0: at Psalm 17 it's actually a prayer um that that God would protect but with that assumption obviously that God is the one doing the action so
1: it's you're not, absolutely right it's not right. even a command right you know there's no to a there. person to even do that in relation to God, much less a human
0: authority. Yeah. Um, another terminology I came across and it it sparked my memory. I heard this term a lot growing up in the Gothard circles, was the term hedge of protection, which is again, maybe in a psalm somewhere. I've um, heard that
1: prayed so many times. Right. Like I never knew where it's it
0: came the from. I think it's in a psalm somewhere because I think it and it's also referenced in Job. Um but I think in job it's it, it's Satan telling god you've you've put a hedge around job, like you put a wall around him, I can't touch him um, and so that there but again, it's a concept of something God did. Job didn't ask for that. Satan asked for it to be taken away, and God did temporarily you know, but it's it's not something like, oh, you need to do this to be within the hedge. What was it?
1: Satan? Or was it an adversary?
0: That is a debate (laughs) we will not get into in this podcast. (laughs) Yes, there is debate about that.
1: All right, we will not go down the rabbit trail tonight.
0: Yes, let's uh, limit uh, limit the number of rabbit holes we fall in tonight. (laughs) All right, so just the hedge of protection terminology was in there too, and it made me think I'd heard that term a lot, and you're right. People pray it all the time. Um, But again, it's an action by God. It's not something someone has to submit under and to be in the protective spot. It's just funny the the things that
1: people pray because it's like you have to sound more spiritual when you're talking to God. Like God doesn't know all the just random crazy thoughts that go through your head all the time. Mm -hmm. Like you have to show off and put on your spiritual language for God, but he knows that.
0: Or for the people who are listening to you pray to God.
1: Yeah, mainly that probably.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do think we should normalize talking to God like he's a normal person. Like there's really no reason to put on your fancy language. God knows who you are. God understands you. So just, you know, anyway, I digress again. Um, that was probably a more important digression. Okay. So the other thing that becomes very, very clear Is when they break down the umbrella Instead of like, okay, God And then there's authority And then you're under authority When they start to break it down Like we talked about with, like, father They put father-husband over mother-wife
1: Like, they're not even equal Between God and the children Which is also wrong Um, Right It's, yeah And they stick
0: that verse right in there About the man being the head of the woman Which I'll just put out there is just a misunderstanding of what the word head means in Greek. So in Greek, the idea of head, so it says Christ is the head of the man, you know, the man is the head of the woman. Um, I think it goes the the other way. The head of the woman is the man, the head of the man, man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. The word head does not mean, does not carry the weight of authority like it does in English. What it's talking about is source. So, obviously, God created man. God created woman out of man. Regenesis. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to that source, the order of creation. Eve was created out of Adam's rib. That's what it's referring to. It's not referring to some hierarchy that exists. Um, I think you'd be hard pressed to stay orthodox and non-heretical and argue for a strict hierarchy between God the Father and Christ but without that's diminishing really his deity.
1: really how people think about it? But a lot, yes, because people do you think it about in it that, that? order, way. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Obviously God the Father is the most important. I mean, that's so wrong. Like and I mean the Holy Spirit is very ignored. Right. In many but if you circles, believe in
0: three persons
1: they're equally equal. deity, right.
0: Then that's not a hierarchy. And
1: yes, Christ submitted to the will of the Father. But that wasn't the God, the father beating him over the head. Like you better obey me or you're not like it was a choice because if it wasn't a choice, then his sacrifice would have meant nothing. Right. And yeah, anyway, man, lots of rabbit trails we could go down tonight.
0: Right. But just that note that there has been a fundamental misunderstanding of the Greek, the Greek concept of headship through a lot of Western society. For a while now, um, there's. I can link a really. I can link to a book that has some really a really good article about that. Um, I think John Zen's addresses, or one of the people in the book he edited, addresses that Greek concept in detail. So that that'd be a good thing to if you want to read more on that. Um, <clears throat> now in the umbrella structure in Gothard, it does say that if you're forced to do evil by an authority, there are situations where you should flee. Um, They do reference David and Saul. David did run from Saul's presence at some point. But when they get down to the specific examples, like what about this? What about this? They really, really push, get back under the authority, get back under the authority. So it's like technically they have to admit that, but when it comes to practical application, it's like the very, 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 very last resort is to remove yourself from an authority who's doing wrong or forcing you to do wrong.
1: It's kind of like one of those, well, yes, <clears throat> for some people that might be necessary, but you'll never come across But that's that. not you,
0: right? So um, what they really teach is, you know, they specifically say you should obey an authority with a quote-unquote offensive disposition, which there's a lot of wiggle room there. At what point is that abuse? somebody can say, well, you just, you're, you're just, their offensive disposition is bothering you. it's like, what if they're actually doing something wrong? What if they're actually hurting you?
1: And what position are they in? I mean, are you talking about a secular, you know, unbelieving person who's at your secular workplace? Mm -hmm. Or are you talking about your pastor? Right. Are you talking about your boss at a Christian college who's supposed to be an example Mm -hmm. of, loving servant leadership who treats you like dirt and lectures you and verbally abuses you.
0: Right. Um, And the verse they use to justify submitting to an authority with an offensive disposition is a verse directed at slaves about obeying their masters. See, they didn't have an option to leave. So Paul was telling them within the structure you've got to live with, here's how best to be godly. It wasn't saying you know, oh, you just need to stay there because that's the best thing to do. They couldn't leave.
1: It's not unspiritual to quit a job where your boss is abusing you.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: It doesn't make you an unspiritual person. It doesn't make you unspiritual to leave a church where your pastor is abusing They
0: specifically you. say you need to respect an evil ruler as a minister of God. And they use the verse where David chooses not. He said, I won't touch God's anointed. When he's talking about Saul, like he could have killed Saul. And he says he wouldn't touch God's anointed.
1: Hey, I've met ministers of God who are evil rulers.
0: Well, there's that. You know, <laughs> They're not. I might have met a King Saul.
1: Of God. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about probably more on that line with the man of God yes. episode. I um, do want to have a specific after episode about our that. Our final episode on the spiritual authority thing after this two part episode, mm-hmm. it, we're going to address that like the whole man of God, um, the concept
0: of the man of God. Yes, um, God's
1: anointed. But I
0: will say, but. if you're going to use the God's anointed verse, that verse applies if your boss is the king of Israel. Just saying. If your boss isn't the king of Israel, I'm sorry you're misapplying the verse. Moving on. So um, <clears throat> they teach getting out from under a human authority exposes us to Satan's influence, even Satan's control. So you, um, one fundamental misconception I want to talk about in this whole structure is <clears throat> it turns every authority into a spiritual authority
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so we've been doing the first couple of episodes we talked about spiritual authority. I'm not talking about at your boss ba- at your at your job with your secular boss like there's no spiritual component to that authority. do you have to do what your boss says when you're at work? Yes, you do because it's a job okay? Um, i'm I'm not saying that there should be no bosses and should be no jobs where you have to follow instructions like that's ridiculous. We're talking about spiritual authority. The problem with this concept is it makes every authority mm-hmm. have a spiritual component, which means you lose any you lose any independent agency in being able to take care of. Protect yourself or...
1: The Holy Spirit's job is irrelevant. Right. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you have... If this system is true.
0: Right. So...
1: Because everyone is your Holy Spirit. Your music <coughs> teacher, your college room leader, your... You know, I'm thinking college setting because that's where we were when right. we were first hearing this. You know, um, your society leader. And it's
0: easy to confuse like it when you're in a Christian setting. Because yes. there seems to be a spiritual component to all of it. But think about that situation where you go to a job where it's not a Christian setting and you have a boss. There is no spiritual component to that authority. It's just functional. Like that's how your work works. Somebody's the boss and they tell everybody what jobs they're supposed to do and you do your job and you hand in your paperwork and whatever you have to do. You know, that's just how a job works. There's no spiritual component. But this whole umbrella of authority concept, it confuses the spiritual authority and, if I can call it the secular authority, it's it's really messy when they get into government stuff. And I'm like, don't try to put a spiritual component into the government, you know? I'm sorry. It just just is what it is.
1: I love how they... I maybe shouldn't bring this up because this is political, but I'm going to. Um, I love how people love to talk about, like, when there's conservatives, like, when the Republicans are in charge of the country. It's kind of, like,
0: all spiritualized. And everybody talks about Romans 13.
1: But then when the Democrats are in, it's like, oh, yeah, we should pray for them. But obviously what they're saying is evil and wrong. Well, you either believe it or you don't believe it. You're so so hypocritical. Yeah. And we're not either. So we're just saying.
0: I'm just saying. (laughs) But I,
1: yeah, there's, there's charities I have stopped giving to because they, like, made certain past president out to be this like great man of God. And I'm like, Nope, you are not getting our money. I'm sorry. Presidents,
0: presidents are not in in that position. So a few (laughs) biblical facts to bring back against this umbrella heresy. I'm not the only one who calls it that Rebecca Davis (laughs) calls it that in her book. We'll link that down below. We'll talk more about that later. Um, Now you can still be under God's authority. You can follow the Holy Spirit and not be under a human authority. The Holy Spirit is the one you're supposed to be following. He's the one who guides you, not a particular human authority. Also, what about people in a situation where they don't really have an authority over them? There are government laws that we all are supposed to obey. The Bible's clear. You're supposed to obey the government because, you know, you're you're not supposed to go rebelling against the government Um, as long as they're not telling you to do. Go against what God said.
1: Yeah, I had a conversation with a pastor and not a spiritually abusive pastor at all actively preached against spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. That was great, but he used, he brought up the umbrella of authority mm-hmm. illustration in a sermon, and I about, I don't know, fell through the floor, hit the roof, all those things, major anxiety <laughs> attack, huge trigger for me because This teaching is the foundation of spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not an abusive leader teaching it, Mm -hmm. it is the foundation of spiritual abuse. Right. And so I I am not one, I'm very hesitant to approach people because of our past and getting chewed out by, you know, people and stuff. So I don't I'm not a confrontational person and I have a hard time kind of confronting people or like asking questions. Like I don't want to seem Angry, <laughs> some I'm straightforward about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kind of like will you know, I mentioned I really disagree with that illustration. And, um, and well, I was not so much the illustration, kind of the illustration, but also it was I think it was Hebrews 13
0: was mm-hmm. the verse,
1: the verses I that know we, we talked up. about that. Yeah, we mentioned those verses and, um. And just in regards to the illustration, he said, Well, I would just really encourage you to, you know, just stay under your authorities or submit to your authorities. And I walked away and, like, okay, I'm a stay at home mom. I don't have a boss. And I, a pastor is not my spiritual authority. And right. um, we are egalitarian. My husband is not my spiritual authority either. We are equal. Right. We both answer to God. Mhm. And I, I don't have human authorities in my life besides, you know, the government whatever like
0: right but um, there's no spiritual component right to that authority.
1: And you know, the government's not in my life every day directing my every move like you know, right. I follow the law like okay like most like people should. Um but it just kind of leaves you like, especially. It's, I don't know, it's kind of like people think, especially women, like this is such an antiquated patriarchal viewpoint. And it's not even, it's not just Christian, like it's, it's right. very, it's just the antiquated worldview of women. Right. Like, well, women have no purpose, don't have any direction without a man. To tell them, yeah, you know what to do, basically.
0: And we'll definitely talk about patriarchy at some point. But the the Jewish and Greek culture at the time of the writing of the Bible, in the New Testament, was very patriarchal. That was just the culture. And again, like I said, that culture also had slavery in it. I mean, and that's sometimes the- Paul Paul is addressing things in a way like, "Here is the better way. Here is God's better way to function." So, and sometimes it's within the cultural constraints you've got but you can see the truth that's there um, and it's very clear the Holy Spirit leads individual believers and you can't get away from that so you know I think people have overdone it on the authority structure that was just inherent in some of the culture and not not really clued in on what was God saying
1: yeah I mean and that's
0: why we tried to focus on those, in a in one of the past episodes like here are all the things the bible says about spiritual authority
1: right because you can't have these things this umbrella thing can't be true and keep some of the verses that are in the bible right you know they're not going to quote those verses in this because it doesn't support their argument they cherry pick the ones that do Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: you can't just be like oh well obviously this little thing that i made up is true because i cherry pick these verses and those other verses are just misinterpreted No, you don't get to do that.
0: (laughs) Right. And there's one phrase I wrote down verbatim out of the notes or out of one of the wisdom booklets. It said, anytime you have power from beneath, so from going the the quote-unquote wrong way in their umbrella structure, anytime you have power from beneath, it's rebellion. So it's sin. So basically with that one statement... That eliminates any possibility of the Holy Spirit leading individual believers. The only way God can lead is through the authority structure, through the chain of command. So the Holy Spirit, they just cut out the Holy Spirit entirely, Mm -hmm. which means, yeah, you got to throw out those verses in the New Testament if you're going to keep your umbrella heresy.
1: Now... I did not do Gothard, but you did Gothard as part of your homeschool curriculum, right? Right. The Wisdom Booklets. now right. In their history section, did they commend the American colonists, the Revolutionary War? Did they talk about how our nation was founded on Christian principles and values?
0: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely
1: flatly contradicts what they just said. Right. Power from beneath. The colonists yeah. were under the king's authority. <clears throat> And they rebelled against that.
0: And in their booklet, they have this paragraph where they they talk about these detailed legal historical facts. Where there's this one thing that theoretically, the King of England did something to sever his authority over the colonies before they <laughs> rebelled. And I'm like, right, um, I love the grasping right.
1: justification.
0: Um, so I, you know, again, I'm not a Revolutionary War historian. I can't verify all of that, but it seemed weirdly out of place that they had to do that one thing so that they can still glorify the American revolution despite their chain of command, um, thing. So, um, they had a whole section for determining who your authorities are, which is interesting because we talked about that conversation you had. So for family, it talks about, you know, once you're, once you're older and married, your, your parents can serve as like a chain of counsel instead of a chain of command where your parents can't tell you what to do, but basically you should still listen to them. Like, they really want that structure to be there. Um, Now, it does say you're under your parents until married.
1: No cutoff on
0: that. No age cutoff on that, which is you can't be an adult until you get married. You can
1: be 21 or you could be 51.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is they didn't explicitly say it here, but I do know based on Gothard's teaching, if you're a girl or a woman then you're not under your parents, you're under your husband. You never get to be an adult, uh, basically. And the young men, once they get married, then they get to move up the totem pole and be over people instead of just under their parents, basically. There is um, some of their materials, I did not remember this, some of their materials even lay out a detailed plan for how the chain of command works with multiple children and how the child's birth order indicates... (laughs) Their propensities and their place in the structure. And I'm like, oh how about individually created uniquely by God to serve a particular purpose? I mean, whoa, this, I mean, really specific stuff. And it's really funny that this whole organization was headed by somebody who was never married and never had children. Yeah, yeah. We, <clears> yeah makes I me think of that statement. It makes me think of that statement everyone's a child rearing expert until they have children. <laughs> Hmm, interesting. So uh, on determining who your authorities authorities are, so that was family. So when it comes to determining government authorities, they quote Romans 13. Um, I could just read my notes on this point. Duh. <laughs> Romans 13 is about telling believers you still have to obey government authorities. But even though they're not spiritual, even though they're not part of the body of Christ, follow the government laws because... God is not concerned with a with a political kingdom, basically. But do you You need to follow? Do you
1: know how many religious (coughs) ministry, whatever leaders I have ridden in vehicles with who do not follow the speed limit?
0: Oh (laughs) yes, yeah. Somehow, you know, we we need to follow the government, but.
1: But not the speed limit. That's not like the speed really limit's Not the government, important. You know? Well, then, then
0: suggestion. you get into the unfortunate situation where people who are technically in spiritual leadership decide that they know better, and they decide that paying their taxes is wrong somehow, I even mean, though Jesus paid the Roman taxes. Which I've got to say, the Roman government is probably worse than ours. So.
1: You can disagree on principle, but still do what you're supposed to do. But
0: the Bible is pretty clear about government. Oh,
1: and as far as the speed limit thing, like, I know some people (coughs) would be like, well, you're a legalist if you follow the speed limit. Like, okay, whatever. I'm not talking about people going with the flow of traffic. I'm talking about people just deliberately speeding because they can.
0: Yeah. Now, when it comes to determining who your authorities are and they get to the church section... Of course, they use the mistranslation of Hebrews thirteen 17. We've talked about Hebrews thirteen seventeen in a previous podcast, so I'm not going to go through all the ins and outs of that again. But that's the one that <clears throat> in the King James Version, it says obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. But the force of the Greek is actually quite different than that. This is a huge, you know, Anglican, Pro-King James translation Dealing with the English monarchy Um, But It's the idea of Allow yourself to be convinced By the people Preaching the truth That, you know Evaluate it and Be open to God showing you Truth through other people, basically It's not, it does not have the This obey and submit Force that it comes across in the, in the King James and in some of the other translations as well. So we discussed all the pieces of that in detail in a previous podcast, but that's the cornerstone of their idea that you submit to the church, to the church leaders. Um, and then they also use 1 Timothy 5.17, which basically refers to elders who rule well. Um, now, the interesting thing to me, is that the concept of elders they used the concept of elders earlier in their in their authority notes as an example of family authority within the context of Israel so to me you got to pick you can't have it both ways like what are what are elders in the bible are they examples of of your quote unquote church authority or are they examples of a, fa- a family uh, so It's just inconsistent. They're just cherry-picking verses to support what they want. Um, We could talk about the concept of elders within a church and what that even means, but that's, again, it's another rabbit hole. It would take a while.
1: And we're, like, really going into detail what we've um, pulled from the notes of the different teachings. I mean, probably mainly from just there was this one booklet totally about the principle of authority, they called it. And I've never been in a church that was just a church, not a college, school setting, whatever, Mm -hmm. that sat down and taught this to this detail. You may be thinking, well, my church doesn't teach all this stuff. But this is the paradigm that Mm -hmm. most, if not all, IFB pastors are coming from. Yeah. They might not even know it's from Gothard. They heard it from their pastor who, you know, maybe had a Gothard connection or this idea of spiritual authority, not questioning authority perhaps the umbrella of authority. I don't know that I ever knew of that illustration before I went to college, but I, it is very likely that it was taught because mm. we had a previous pastor at our church who was involved in some Gothard yeah. things. Or so, somebody
0: could have heard it from an evangelist at a right. teen camp who heard it from his pastor who had a Gothard connection. You never know, it, but it did get around
1: um, yeah. a lot. So this is... This is the – I mean, I've seen it floating around Facebook, and I just – I mean, this is one of the reasons I don't do – I'm not on Facebook anymore. I mean, we're there, but I'm not interacting. I don't look at Facebook because I can't handle it because mm-hmm. it's like I cannot argue with every single person who posts this heresy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is – it may not be taught to this extent or this great detail, but it will be reflected in the preaching and in mm-hmm. the attitudes of mm-hmm. – Pastors and ministry leaders.
0: Yeah. Um, other statements that came straight out of this: the more we understand God's structure of authority, the more faith we have. Uh, what about faith in Scripture? What about making a decision to trust what's what the Bible says? Isn't that what faith is? Um, just whoa, wow. I'm pretty now, sure Jesus
1: didn't say
0: anything about that. No. Now, there is the concept of appealing to an authority. So when authority asks you to do wrong, and I'm just saying, it's there so nobody can say, you never talked about appealing to an authority. Yes, it's there, but they establish all these constraints on appealing. There's no equality of believers like we were just talking about. The church was set up to be the body of Christ, to be believers equal with different gifts and They submit one to another, and there's it breaks down the the different class structures present in the culture. I think
1: we mentioned maybe in this in one of the previous podcasts. It's been a while now, but like the part about um, like uh, is it in Timothy or Titus Um, talking about older men, like all the different age groups within a church, and. In treating older men as a father, I don't know if that's exactly the wording. I don't have it in front of me, yeah, but I basically, think that
0: verse might be in here.
1: Yeah. So, but there's still inequality, right? <laughs> um, and there's it's not it's not with all the constraints that they put on it.
0: Yeah. So they put all these constraints. If you're asked to be some asked to do something wrong, if you're being asked to do something wrong, you should appeal. That's their instruction, not that you should refuse, which is a little interesting. Um, yeah. So,
1: like, why do they think all the people got martyred in the Bible? Um, they refused to do it. Was wrong. yeah.
0: It's interesting for the, for the example of the biblical example of appeal. They use Daniel in Daniel chapter one, where he appeals to the steward in charge of them to give them different food, so it would be with, along with the Jewish law. Um, the interesting thing is they do not give an example of Daniel as an older man just praying to God despite the law about only praying to the king. Like, he didn't appeal that. He just did what was right.
1: Or in the same book, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego.
0: Refusing to bow. Right. I mean, that was an
1: ultimatum where the thing with the food, they had the opportunity to appeal and... You know, I don't know how much the people that captured them knew about Jewish diet. So it's like, hey, by the way, can we
0: Appealing is not a bad thing. And that's a good thing to be the concept that you can tell your authority, like, maybe you didn't know that, but this, I, I can't do that.
1: I mean, what if their request had been denied? Right. I think they probably would not have broken the law. Right. And they might have starved to death.
0: But it's interesting that the focus here is, you know, if you're being asked to do something wrong, you should appeal, not refuse first and then appeal yeah. later. Now, I'll
1: tell you what happened to us when we appealed to an authority <coughs> one mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Direct quote from the authority. You will do what we tell you to do.
0: Right. So that's clear, how
1: appealing went for us.
0: Right. There's a clear some, somebody, an authority with a chain of command in their head that is not going to be appealed. Um So all of the focus on the the sections about appealing, all of the focus is on pleasing the person in authority, not doing what's right. And there's lots of time spent on, here's exactly how to present your appeal so it will be acceptable and it will be accepted by the person in authority. Lots of time spent on, you should wait for God to change the authority's mind. Or sometimes you realize God called you to suffer for righteousness or make sure your appeal wasn't rejected because you presented it incorrectly. Basically, you didn't follow the steps prescribed in their curriculum. And there's a tiny paragraph at the end about sometimes it's wise to flee from an authority. So my mind immediately goes to what about a situation where you're a woman in an abusive marriage or children who are being abused by a parent? Not get out do what's right. You spend all this time trying to please essentially the abuser. This is terrible for an abusive situation. Well, and what it's about awful.
1: even a situation, to use a biblical example, like Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Mm-hmm. Um, he should have appealed, um, hung around so that she could assault him or make more serious allegations against him or. Or what? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what was he supposed to do? Everybody, all the preachers I know were like, good for Joseph for running. But then they want to be like, oh, no, you should. Because she was his authority.
0: Right. He was a slave.
1: And how many young, unsuspecting children or teenagers have been put in that situation? I mean, most of them don't even know what's happening to them when Mm -hmm. they're molested or by an adult because of being so sheltered. But... You know, they just want to please their authority. That's what they've been taught to do, because right. that's more important than fleeing evil.
0: Yeah, that's the terrible thing about this. So I'm sure if if you've been taught some, if, if you've heard some of this teaching, it may not have been taught to this degree, but this is where it's coming from. This is the extent to which they believe in that chain of command. Um, <clears throat> now, I'm going to run through some of the scripture passages and make some comments. These are scripture passages that they have in their material. I just pulled a few of the main ones out because they were they were scattered all over and the different presentations were different. So one of the big verses is in Luke 7 where Jesus heals the centurion's servant. The centurion says, um, you know, says, you don't need to come to my house. He's, show, he's actually showing respect for God and for, for the Jewish God and for the Jewish understanding. He's like, you don't need to come to my house. You know, I tell soldiers what to do. I'm sure you're powerful enough that you can command something to be done, and it'll be done. Now, Gothard's curriculum says that—I mean, and it is true. Jesus said the centurion's faith. He'd not found f- faith that great in all of Israel. Gothard's curriculum says that that's because of his understanding of authority, structure, and God's plan. What?
1: Nothing to do with Jesus.
0: <coughs> yeah. <laughs> His faith, his faith was in the fact that God must be more powerful than Rome. He served Rome, and in the Roman system, somebody in authority like him can give a command, and it's carried out by other people without him being physically present. And so he he thinks God must be bigger than, at least as big as that. God has to be bigger than what I know in Rome. So, Jesus, you have to be able to just say it'll be done and it will somehow be accomplished. That's his faith, was that God was bigger than Rome. That's my explanation of it. But in when I'm looking at it, that's his, his faith is not in the understanding of authority structure in God's plan. He didn't think that God ran things like the Roman army. And also there's no indication that this authority where you can say something and it will be done extends beyond Jesus or beyond God. I mean, Just because Jesus can command somebody to be healed of an illness somewhere doesn't mean that Roman authority structure is how God works. That is not what that says. So they've taken, I think they've done one of these things, I've seen it happen in other passages. People misinterpret a passage because they take the illustration that's used and confuse it with the truth.
1: Well, we mentioned that in our courtship <coughs> episode about yes. Isaac. They confuse the
0: actual truth with the illustration that's used, right. and they fixate on the illustration as the truth, which is not what's there. Um, but anyway, the Luke seven one that you'll see that example, and if you've heard someone preach on a th- the umbrella of authority or God's plan of authority or whatever, you're probably going to hear Luke seven most likely.
1: I um, thought that was so <coughs> bizarre the first time I heard that, and we'll get into that because you and weren't the used to it. Part, yeah. yeah, I was kind of like, what? Where? Where <laughs> is he getting this? I'm really right. lost about this. And that was as a, mm-hmm. you know, upperclassman in Bible college. I was super confused by yeah. where that was coming from. So anyway.
0: I mentioned they talk about Romans 13. Obviously that deals with government. That does not deal with spiritual authorities. Um,
1: Which don't exist, but yes.
0: Yeah, we'll get there. Um, we have... Right. We did talk. We talked about that. I'm sorry. Um, it's been a little while. Um, so they talk about Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which we talked about. Um, they talk about Hebrews 12 a little bit where authorities discipline us like God corrects us too. That's a really odd verse to cherry pick. Basically, they saw the word authority and the word. Uh, they, they talked about fathers like our earthly fathers and how God
1: corrects us. But that was another us. illustration.
0: But again, it's an illustration that they fixated on, and also, I have a feeling somebody's cherry picking verses because they see buzzwords in them, instead of actually looking at what the verse means. So that's another one. Um, Yeah, the first they do mention First Timothy five, don't rebuke an elder, but entreat him as a father. Um, This I believe that's talking about age, not position, talking about somebody who's older. Older
1: women mothers, younger women, sisters, you know, it's, it's
0: talking about being gracious. It's talking about, you know, Timothy as a young man, don't, don't just go up to older men who you think are doing it wrong. And like, you know, you know, you old guy, you don't know what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. Like have a discussion. Like, why do you do things that way? Like, why, why did you do that? That didn't seem right to me. Why, you know, it's talking about being gracious. It's not talking about authority structure. It's just Talking about being gracious to people who are, you know, who are. Well,
1: it was honestly probably. Um, has, I'm assuming this is. I mean, it's addressed to Timothy. Mm-hmm. It's more like, okay, so yeah, you're the, you know, quote unquote, spiritual leader. Yeah. The pastor, whatever the of ab- this group. Yeah. Don't get cocky. You're not.
0: You're not better elder. than them. Yeah.
1: Um. So and if anything, it's a Mm -hmm. warning to pastors to just because they think they have some authority to uh, not misuse.
0: Still be gracious. Yeah. Um, They, they quote Ephesians six, nine, which is an instruction for masters and slaves. Like I mentioned, maybe you could come up with application for today, but it's tricky because like I said, they had an existing cultural structure. They couldn't change. And Paul's trying to give them instructions on how to treat each other with respect. He gives instructions to masters and slaves, not just the slaves, by the way. And it's a stretch to just apply that to how employees and employers should interact. Because that's, it's not the same context. Well,
1: and definitely should not be applied to anyone. I mean, slavery still exists. True. And... Yeah, but it's not something that people are just supposed to accept as their lot in life,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean it's like oh, you just just live with it because that's where you are, um, and it can't be applied to, in, b- more broadly, really. So, in the Book of Acts, they do they do concede the point that you should obey God over government because the, the, we ought to obey God rather than men. That verse. Um, so
1: I love that verse. But yeah, they they don't think that it applies to, you know, spiritual men. It only right. applies it, to the government. Only applies of to
0: government. It's like,
1: you know, if you quote that, if you're you know your pastor or your boss at a Christian institution tells you to do something, and you quote back, well, "We ought to obey God rather than men," they'd probably be like so freak mad at you because how dare you use the Bible against them. But of course, I I they, can, to use that they can, can use that
0: verse to not obey things that the government says to do right. for whatever reason. Um, you know, sometimes like, with very like little justification. Not
1: having, you know, services during a pandemic or things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe, am I
1: getting political again? I'm
0: sorry. <sighs> um, there's also Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. They use that as an example. That's tricky because... Their sin there, the sin they were judged for, had to do with trying to deceive the Holy Spirit. Not a human authority. It was in front of a human authority. It was in front of one of the apostles. The other thing to keep in mind is, is we the- don't have apostles.
1: Right. Um, At least in the IFB, we don't have apostles.
0: Right. <laughs> right. I will not make assumptions. I Yeah. Wh- the 12 apostles are not living today, so... You can't really just take Ananias and Sapphira's account there. Also, the Bible says some things about him. It talks, it rebukes, they're rebuked for lying to the Holy Spirit. That's what they're rebuked for. And you can make another mistake of taking a narrative story and drawing all kinds of application because of what you think. But it doesn't say that. It says that they were judged for lying to the Holy Spirit. They thought we could trick God.
1: Which makes you think that the Holy Spirit is actually, like, a really super important part right? of Christianity. Wouldn't it, though? So why are we trying to replace him with this authority umbrella thing? Mm-hmm. Because um, you're trying to take his place. That's kind of a really serious thing.
0: Yeah. I think Acts 5 is a good place to leave that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to leave. It. That was the last passage I saw referenced in the Gothard notes there. So... That is essentially the Gothard IBLP teaching on the umbrella of authority. You might have heard it in a zillion different forms. What
1: IBLP stands for, so that people, if they
0: were. IBLP is one of the acronyms that I knew it as. That was Institute for Basic Life Principles. It has also been the Institute for Basic Youth Conflicts. The Advanced Training Institute, or ATI, was something that we heard that acronym a lot. um, The
1: program for guys. Called Alert.
0: Yes, they had Alert and Alert Cadets, um, was a program for young men. Um, it's kind of a paramilitary thing. Um, they did have a program for young women called Excel. I think I don't know if that reached beyond their summer, their yearly summer conferences, like Alert did, or if it was just something they did during the conferences to keep the to keep the I girls busy while the guys did the really important stuff, <laughs> basically.
1: I had friends who um, were involved in some of their, you know, things like <clears> that <throat> and their training centers and things <clears> like <throat> that. That was kind of really my only exposure to Gothard um, yeah. as a teenager and they were involved in those things. So.
0: So, yeah, I was I was an alert cadet for a, a number of years there, um, you know, didn't rise through the ranks and become part of alert or anything. But, you know, I'm, I was familiar with the structure, had friends who were in alert Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, so at college, we knew, I mean, obviously we don't know everyone's backgrounds, but we knew of of at least one family who seemed to be somewhat heavily involved in Gothard that mm -hmm. we were in college with them. Um, But I never really heard anybody arguing with this teaching when it was presented, so I think it's pretty mainstream IFB teaching, especially that umbrella authority. The one pastor that I'd had that conversation with At the end of the conversation, is kind of like, well, you know, I was expressing my concerns about this particular thing and this illustration of the umbrella. And Mm -hmm. at the end, he's like, "Well, still think it's a good illustration." I was like, "Okay, then." I really (laughs) think it sucks. I didn't
0: know. No, yeah, it's. I think Rebecca Davis hit the nail on the head um, when she titled it The Umbrella Heresy because it is so unbiblical and it violates so many other biblical principles and teachings and specific verses that you just cannot defend it from scripture. But a lot of people are used to it and it sounds right to them because they've heard it for so long. It's
1: really scary how a really, I don't want to say like cute illustration or uh, convenient or sharp looking or sounding illustration can really take over people's thinking and overshadow the biblical thought like they'll read these are people who read their bible through at least once a year and they'll come across verses that flat out contradict it and they never give it a second thought because Mm -hmm. oh the umbrella illustration of course that's right Right. And they it's really scary. It. I mean, that's why I just hate the stuff that floats around all the memes and whatever on Facebook about these things or like the quotes that are just yeah. pulled out of people's writing where it's like, oh, like even especially the ones where it's like in some situations, this is true. But it in an abusive situation, that's dangerous advice. Right. Or this isn't always true. What about someone in this situation, mm-hmm. in these circumstances and people just spread it okay. like it's. Biblical, I mean, Gothard quotes, they would word things in a flowery way to make it sound kind of King James-ish, and then people people quote it like it's scripture. They truly believe that this is God's word, and Mm -hmm. um, it's not. (laughs) So we're going to leave that there. Yeah, let's take a quick
0: break, and then we'll come back to
1: how we experienced
0: Gothard 2.0. Before we wrap up the episode, I wanted to take a minute and fill in some information about Bill Gothard. We referred to him by last name most of the episode. Um, Bill Gothard started an organization that has morphed several times, been referred to by several different acronyms, which we alluded to. Um, I think it is now known as the Institute for Basic Life Principles, or IBLP. Um, We did check out some of their current teaching. They still do teach the Um, umbrella of authority they have softened the terminology to make it more palatable but they still do teach it um as for Bill Gothard though his teaching is very popular in the IFB um in the independent Baptist circle I don't believe he was a Baptist he really wasn't big on church uh, but he held these huge conferences and there were training centers and um things like that um there's one in texas now they used to be scattered all over there was one in indianapolis one in chicago one in the upper peninsula of michigan um but through the 80s and 90s it was a big deal especially in the homeschool crowd um his curriculum and his events and uh, that kind of thing so um that's a little bit of background about him if you were unfamiliar and we were just throwing these terms around um because we're familiar with it so that's a little bit of background there and we will follow up in the second episode. We split this into two parts. We'll just continue our discussion uh, about how that impact, this impacted our lives. Finding Normal is a production of Grace and Peace Publications. Our hosts are Chris and Rachel Nobile. Our theme song is by the band Young Presidents. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, contact us at graceandpeacepublications.com.